0: Hello and welcome to Oh God What Now, the podcast that's up to attack the news before most other news outlets have had their avocado on toast. I'm Andrew Harrison and on today's show we'll be looking at two sides of the political future. First, we thought populism was dying, but what if we were wrong? Sunak's gone old red meat, pro car and screw the planet. Farage is back somehow. And in the United States, many Republicans say they'd still vote for Donald Trump, even if he gets sent to jail. What if populism is a permanent feature and not a wave? And if so, how do we fight it? and also a ray of hope. Are the kids actually all right? Why are millennials booking the trend that the older you get, the more right-wing you are? To find out, let's meet today's panel. First up, it's commentator Alex Andreo. Hello, commentator Alex Andreo. Hello. So it's Migration Panic Week again. The first asylum seekers being put on board the Bibby Stockholm in Portland. And when Stephen Kinnock over the weekend said that Labour would not be able to get people out of of camps and barges immediately, this got turned into the headline, Labour will use migrant barges, as if it was a major decision. Did he mean it? And are Labour now stuck in a bidding war? And who can
1: be the meanest to migrants? Well, I mean, you, I don't know if you watched the actual interview. I'm never up that early. (laughs) He, literally what Kinnock said was, we will work as quickly as possible to get people out of hotels and off barges. Sounds to fair. which the Sky <laughs> presenter responded, "So you will keep using the barges?" And he said, "Well, we'll inherit a mess, and we can't just magic everyone <laughs> somewhere else on day one." Labour to leave. Huge headline. Yes, I mean it hugely overinterpreted. They probably don't particularly mind it, to be honest, because. Uh, people who are uh, sort of leftists who are interested in politics have probably heard this explanation already a dozen times. And people further out that uh, uh, maybe Labour are trying to attract are just seeing that big headline. So, but I mean, it's just grossly overinterpreted. And I think it denotes a stance on the part of the press. They really are out to get Labour at the moment. Um, And they're really not satisfied with anything that sounds reasonable, Mm. which I think will be a huge problem going forward. Because, you know, we've become accustomed to such profound state dysfunction that if you look at areas like Brexit or housing or immigration, to say that the solution is build more houses, improve our relationship with the EU process the claims in a, in a timely way it sounds almost glib yeah. right it sounds like it couldn't be that simple or this lot would be doing it you expect the, the public have come to expect some sort of magical very clever solution you know we will pack everyone up and send them to ascension island
0: well this is what i want to ask you about what did you make of the home office backpedaling frantically to say well we're not really going to send anybody to ascension island It just seemed to like that was another one that seems to generate itself.
1: Listen, I think this is one story that we are very, very safe to ignore, I think I can say. I mean, look, they announced they would be looking at barges two and a half years ago. They bought the BB Stockholm in uh, 9th of April this year, and they've, they've only just put the first handful of people on it. So how long do you think it will take them to set up... Immigration camps on some uninhabited island in the Pacific. Clear it through the courts and st- start sending people there before the next election. I'm not setting me Clark for it.
0: Yes. Political reporter, The New Statesman, Zoe Grunewald, is also with us. Hi, Zoe. Hello. So you've got a big piece in The Statesman this week saying that the British public are actually very concerned about climate change and they don't trust Rishi Sunak's sod it all approach. 51% of people said the government should spend more on public transport than provision for cars. 40% supported LTNs. What advice, this flies in the face of what Sunak's all about at the minute, what advice should he be taking as he reads his New Statesman while having a latte in Santa Monica?
2: I'm not sure he reads The New Statesman, actually, but um, I think <laughs> if if he did, the thing he should be taking from it is that um, the public are not in support of this new co- potential culture war that he's started about the environment. So yeah, the, the polling company we used, Redfield and Wilton, found that about 82% of people said that climate change had mattered to them in the last month, right? And that was up there just behind the NHS and the cost of living. So top three priorities, environment was one of them. There's a huge discrepancy there. Because they also think that only 35% of people think that um, Sunak is committed to his net zero targets. So there's a huge discrepancy there between the people who want something to be done about climate change and the amount that actually thinks Sunak is doing something about it. Also, do they think that Sunak is a man of his word? Well, Well, clearly not. They don't think he's committed even though he's come out and said that he is. Um, I think what was also quite interesting about the results, so you spoke about low-traffic neighbourhoods, and we also did some polling about um, ULEZ as well, and we mm. found quite quite similarly that quite a few people were in support. There was a sort of about a quarter that, that weren't, and then there was quite a large amount of don't-knows, and I think what this shows both parties is that there's still quite a big sort of understanding gap in the general public about what low-traffic neighbourhoods and ULEZ actually mean for them. Mm. And I think this is something that can be utilised by both parties, which is like, how do you actually educate people? How do you show them what the incentives are? How do you show them what the good things are about these things? And, you know, there is a chance for Sunak to U-turn again and take people on the net zero journey with him if he wishes. He doesn't have to make it into a culture war. People are supportive and they may well like him more if he decides to stick with the green policies that they originally had.
0: Well, this is what you get if you hire Redfield and Wokerton, isn't it? <laughs> uh, com- completing the new Statesman tag team is Marilla Kant, columnist at that fantastic publication and also author of Escape, the essential volume for terminally online millennials, out next week in paperback.
3: Yes, absolutely. Thank B- you very much. Bye,
0: bye, bye. How are you doing, Marie? So I'm very well, thanks. Now, uh, GB News now has to contend with an additional four Ofcom investigations after the regulator opened cases on programmes hosted by Jacob rees Philip Davis and Esther McVeigh. There are now seven in total. I think they get one more and they win a prize of some sort. <laughs> the channel has been investigated for breaches of impartiality which it actually flaunts, um, are they just trying to get judgments against themselves so they can say Ofcom is woke?
3: It, it sort of feels rather depressingly like a win-win situation for them because if Ofcom ends up saying, actually, you know, we've not found um, any breaches, you can continue, then that's certainly fine for GB News. They can be like half, you know, the, the, yeah, yeah. the wokesters who tried to report us failed and lost <laughs> and will live forever. Um, and yeah, and exactly as you said, I think if Ofcom actually does say, no, obviously this is insane, you cannot have members of parliament, you know, d- doing this... Um, then yeah, then they can just say, well, you know, that would be because of communist, as we all know. Um, and know then the name. <laughs> very good. <Ofcoming. laughs> and yeah, and in that case, you know, and and get kind of a, a lot of sympathetic media coverage from the usual suspects. And yeah, and on and on the circus goes. So so again, I think it's one of those really frustrating things where whatever happens, they can probably find a way to win. So obviously, they're going to keep playing.
0: God, it's awful.
3: It is. I'm happy to be here.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: We've been living it through a decade of populism and telling ourselves that it's going to blow over soon. We saw Trump lose the presidential election. 80% of people now think Brexit has failed. More than half would vote to rejoin the EU. And the Brexit-dependent Tory government is falling to pieces before our eyes. And yet, far-right parties are still in power or taking power across Europe. And at home, the populist playbook isn't spent. We were just talking about how Sunak has thrown himself into a populist, authoritarian, anti-environment stance. Even Nigel Farage has been able to resurrect himself, and The Guardian characterised the Conservatives' knife-edge victory in Uxbridge as the return of the sour spirit of Brexit. Do we have to stop thinking of populism as something that will burn itself out and get used to having to fight it in perpetuity? Alex, was there ever a moment, maybe perhaps when Biden won in 2020, that you thought actually populism is on the fades now? Yeah. Yeah. It was.
1: I, I fully own up to that. Um, I, I thought that Trump would need to be beaten once rather than several times, especially after January the 6th. I, I kept thinking that there is this line that at some point will be crossed and that there is a, a sort of a rump of the Republican Party that will be turned off by it. And I think it's a feature of, of my generation's sort of psychological makeup in a in a weird way you know my my life started entirely analog and is now m- mostly digital my parents were born just before and during the war um my my two grandmothers between them lost seven children either at childbirth or to childhood diseases um and you know of my parents' generation, sort of one in 10 went to university and, and nine in 10 of me and my cousin's generation went to university. So the, there is this really deeply believed thing that the arc of history leans towards progress and that things in between are, are blips. And I don't know that I believe that now. I, I, I think it may have been irrational to think that that's what will happen, especially because of what's going on with the environment. And this clash with populism, which I think will become more and more prominent because action on the environment will often be unpopular. And unless we get like really strong governance that is able to say, you may not love this, but it has to happen, we are in a in a world of shit. We really are. Your strong pitch for the progressive authoritarianism there. No, I mean, no, because it should, you know, it should be about explaining things. Like Eula's is a really good example, yeah. right? If all this stuff that came out after the Exbridge election that it only affects a tiny percentage of cars, that you know, that th- the scrappage scheme can be expanded to help people. If all of that stuff had come out before the election it would be less of an issue so it is a communication thing mm. but at the same time you, you can't just have leadership that just looks at what do people really enjoy and just does that mm. all the time we've been in a kind of an open
0: air worldwide seminar on this stuff for about a decade now and there are You want to be really reductive about it. There are two sides to populism. There's the side that talks about elites in order to sort of set the public against the institutions that protect them Mm. from kind of overweening centralized government uh, that attacks things like the BBC or the courts or the civil service. And the other side is that you refuse to accept that there's any such thing as a complex problem. You do cakeism. Everything can be solved by the most simple thing usually that a guy in a pub could come up with. Now, cakeism has taken a real battering in Britain over the past decade, but the the elite's angle seems pretty intact. We hear more about elites now than ever. What do we do about that? Are we ever going to get out from the... The I,
1: elite discourse. I, d- I don't know that cakeism has taken that much of a battering, by the way, because well, if you look at that people, yeah, don't, but yeah. on Brexit. But if okay. you look at Sunak's um, new stance on the environment, that is exactly what he's. Yeah. He's saying we can dig up more fossil fuels, burn it, and still reach our net zero climate. And it's like, how? How are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, that? That is classic cakeism. But on the second, yeah, the elite stuff. I mean, it's, it's almost. Comical at the moment to have these super wealthy donors, these these press barons, these entitled telegraph journalists, or these university professors like Goodwin telling everyone else that they're the establishment, that they're the elite. It It's not is... that we're
0: the elite and they're not. They're, yeah, the they're telling everyone else. That's yeah, what yeah, I'm oh, saying. Yeah, Te- yes, they're telling
1: yeah. everyone else that mm. they're the elite. And I. You have to do a double take sometimes and Mm. go, "I, I what now? Mm. Mm. I'm really not.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the bad news is we're all elite in this room, apparently, because we do a podcast and that's it. that's elite behaviour. And
3: again, I'm currently wearing a T-shirt I found in the street, so I don't so know that's, if that's a, elite behaviour totally, or not.
0: That's but. vintage, so it's recycling, therefore it's elite. <laughs> Marie, I mean, Sunak has thrown himself, as we were just saying, into the full GB News agenda. Pro car, anti-environment, an enabler of, of authoritarian law and order stuff. And yet he's not a, he's not the populist personality, is he? He's, he kind of looks like Roland Ratt and it's, hey, guys... Can he wear those clothes successfully? Do you think?
3: Well, so I think the problem with Sunak, he's—I think he's a more interesting character than he seems at first at glance because. Uh, because actually, you know, he he is right wing. If you look at the policy stuff he cares about and he wants to do that, he is on on the, on the kind of right wing of the Conservative Party. And he mm-hmm. always was. Um, and I think it's just, you know, the, the fact that he was not painted as such uh, during the leadership campaign and even before that is probably sort of, you know, quite racialized and to do with his wealth, etc. Uh, you know, in the same way that really early on, people were like, Kemi Badenoch, like, I don't know if you remember that, but for, there were a few months people were like, Kemi Badenoch, the new rising star of the centrist Tories. Yeah, and yeah. then she opened her mouth and obviously he was incredibly right wing. And it's like, oh, is it perhaps that she's a black woman? So, you, you know, you kind of assumed she was a centrist. So I feel like there's a similar thing that has been happening with Rishi. And again, he's, you know, sort of quite, I don't know, like nearly, like he's quite Cameroon coded in a weird way. Like you could see him... Like, having got really excited about like Obama and like maybe going to campaign for Hillary, stuff like that. Like he's got, you know, is the vibe theory of politics. Mm. But yeah, but all that being said, obviously he's not the media of that. But at you know, all of that being said, he is still in practice, more of a technocrat, like he's not, he may be very right wing, but ultimately he's kind of the numbers guy, like, you know, he's not the person who will go and give the sort of like grand stump speech and kind of, you know, really passionate language, etc. So, so he's a weird mix of two things, because yeah. normally you kind of get the more technocratic politicians towards the centre and the populist kind of, you know, towards the right mm. or towards the left. So so he's, I think, in and of itself, he's in a, he, he's, you know, kind of occupies a weird spot. But
0: it's, it's populist content without populist presentation, isn't it? when you look at it, you look at his policy agenda, it is straight from GB News. Mm. It's, it's it's there to please the car guy. It's mm. there to please the Daily Mail. Yeah, but it's reader. also what and,
3: he believes, though I think. Yeah, like, but, I, yeah.
0: But, but he doesn't he doesn't present in that way. And I'm interested mm. though is that actually an advantage or a disadvantage to him?
3: Ooh. I, I'm not sure. I think the problem is, um, and I think we sort of hinted at it a bit earlier, is that people don't really see him again as a very right-wing sort of populist. Mm. Uh, he's yeah, he, he's very sort of yeah, liberal Tory-coded. So I'm not I'm not really sure. Like, is there is there going to be a point at which the public kind of like? realizes that's who he is and doesn't like it? Is there, you know, or, pe- or will people think actually, hang on, he sounds like a phony because clearly he can't possibly believe all of that because, you mm. know, I had my assumptions about this man. I'm um, sort of, no, I'm not really, sure. I mean, I'm not convinced. I don't think it's going to go well for him, but I'm not sure in which way yet.
0: Yeah. it's gonna go badly, <laughs> but you don't quite know how, Yeah, in, from which direction, <laughs> yeah. Um, The sudden reappearance of Farage with the worst possible thing, a good point about banks. Mm kind of amazed me. Does does Is he a symptom of something that a chunk of the British people want in politics, which is a permanent kind of lord of misrule, permanent disruptor fella? because he just attaches himself to whatever happens to be the next thing along the kind of populist conveyor, but he doesn't seem to have a core agenda. It's just what can I leap on that will put me... Mm. He just really loves attention.
3: Mm. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I think that what the one maybe saving grace here when talking about Farage is that we still don't really have a Farage 2.0. And I think a lot of people, both like within politics and the media, et cetera, have tried to kind of set themselves up as the kind of, again, like populist, very right wing, etc. Yeah. cetera. No one's really managed it. I think like Nigel Farage, weirdly, is is very much in a class of his own. So I do think that he will sort of keep coming back and we just will never be able to get rid of him for the rest of our natural lives. Um, But on the bright side, again, I don't think he's created a kind of like type of person that British politics will just keep having forever. I think it's very specifically a Farage problem as opposed Mm. to a structural one.
0: So you dodged a bullet there in that like in Britain, we might have the kind of elements of populism in policy. We don't actually have a populist leader in waiting. I mean, he, you know, Johnson couldn't pull it off. And he was by far, in his horrible way, the most charismatic figure we've seen in British politics, with the possible exception of Farage. Mm-hmm. There aren't any kind of, there's nobody on the bench, as it were.
2: No, there isn't like an obvious populist leader waiting to take the reins. I mean, when people talk about who's going to succeed Sunak, it's often Braverman, maybe Badenok. And they're obviously quite right wing, quite populist. But I don't know. I'm doubtful. And I'm I'm sure we'll talk about this in a bit more detail. I I just think the Conservative Party tends to win when it's in the centre. And actually, obviously, depending on how... Badly, the Tories lose the next election, how many seats are lost and where they're lost. I reckon it will be quite a moderate party. I know a lot of people don't think that, but I do think it will turn out to be quite a moderate party rather than push to the right. I mean, there's a lot of different factors and it depends on who loses their seat and yeah. what wins the election for Labour if uh, Labour do win. But yeah, I, I feel like, you know, Johnson, it's weird, as you were saying, Sunak, he's sort of like got populist policies, but quite like a non-populist face it's like Johnson was the other way around actually Johnson's policies originally were quite one nation-y like he seemed and he was I
0: found myself walking to work this morning and the horrible thought entered my head that like at least if Johnson was still Prime Minister we wouldn't have a bonfire of green policies no and like I don't want to think that thought no (laughs) not if it suited him politically we would have it
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, he might have oh, took. We would have divorced him over it. So I think he would have had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> True. And I, he had got.
2: I, I, I think he's ready
1: for, for the next one now. So mm-hmm. I don't think it would have stopped him.
2: <laughs> but yeah, no, I can't. I, I think you're right. I think we've always, we've not ever quite like gone full force populist leader. Like we've always like maybe had like a little bit there, but mm. there's been something more to it. And yeah, I, I feel like generally the British public tend to be centre right and therefore not very populist.
0: It's the answer to why we don't get these people actually contained in the pages of Britannia on chain, <laughs> which is the British actually prefer football and pop music. Very, we do, very, Yeah, I think we yeah.
2: do. I'm sure. I'm sure that's true. And, um, you know, all our politicians at the minute, yeah, they just, no, no one's like that charismatic, that mm. attention grabbing, are they? Like, we haven't really had a really charismatic leader for a while. I mean, people talk about Johnson, but like, he was pretty disliked by a lot of people as well. And I do think that the 2019 election where he became prime minister, people think that's all to do with how great, you know, how how well liked Johnson was. But a lot of people were voting for Johnson through gritted teeth, I think. Um, So I think we can overestimate how popular Johnson was as
0: well. So I'm interested to know why you say that you think that after what happens in the next Mm -hmm. election... It might produce more of a moderate mm. conservative party because the received wisdom is they're going to go through the, ni- the what Labour went through in 1983 or mm. 2015, mm. push themselves further to their own extremes, and spend like five to ten years in a psychological turmoil mm. as they work out that the thing they really, really like is not really, really liked by the electorate. So why do you think that's not going to happen?
2: So I think there's two op- there's like two yeah. outcomes, but obviously they're quite there's a few changeable factors. But like I genuinely believe that if if the election Labour win. And um, it's seen as a referendum on how popular Starmer was, and Labour win, and and Starmer's got a lot of popularity. Then I think you'll definitely see a shift towards the centre. If, however, because they'll want to sort of emulate, they want to create the the newest thing that's a bit yeah. like Starmer. If, however, w- they Labour win, but there's lots of questions about why Labour win. Were they just a protest vote? I think there'll be a a, a large like a section of the Conservative Party who say we should have been, we should have had more red meat. We should have really pushed on immigration. We should have done that. And I and I, th- I do think that will happen. Mm. But I do think, actually, if you look at what sort of seats are at risk of being lost, you might lose quite a lot of those right wing, red wall Tories and keep a lot of the sort of safe seat moderates. And you're looking mm. at the, sort of the Mordants and people like that, who I think are quite likely to actually grab power and to keep the Conservative Party harnessed quite closely to the centre. I don't think it will prevent the argument. Yeah, And I think you will definitely still hear those natcons going, you know, mm. No more immigration, you know, all social workers, all, all care workers must be from the UK. But I, I actually don't think when you look at the influence, it will be a right-leaning influence.
0: So I should put my five on a Penny mordant versus Miriam Catesley. James Cleverley. It's obviously
3: cleverly. Yeah, yeah, going
2: James to be James kind of Cleverley.
3: Right. I don't know why. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I, not putting you any in I'm not a betting woman, but like, he strikes me as the obvious. But well, no, so one last point. They're already
1: think. doing hatchet jobs on him.
3: Well, yes. Yeah, so the yeah.
1: There must be rivals mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the wings that are briefing against him.
3: Um, I was going to agree. So the, the, the other point as well, so I did a piece recently on the kind of, on, on the fact that the right of to the Tory party is being very vocal at the moment and the centrist not so much. But actually what's really interesting is that when you talk to them, to so the kind of more centristy Tories, what they say is like, you know, we currently, we're busy just letting them tire themselves out. But what we're doing is actually uh, we've got quite a tight grip on all the selections. And actually, if you look at the candidates picked in the in conservative, win, you know, winnable seats of which there are, you know, Three. Um, <laughs> Easy yeah. to look at, then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, been a, a, lots of them are actually, so apart from maybe Nick Timothy, who's kind of his own wing of the party, but like everyone else is actually just like quite centristy and quite bland, middle-of-the-road conservative. So again, you know, I, I can't really think of any massive right-wing firebrands that have been selected anywhere. So I think, again, they're kind of playing the long game at the moment.
1: I, I'll disagree slightly, not with necessarily the outcome. I think it's a perfectly possible outcome but with the, the, the mode by which we get there, because I I have the feeling it's not actually that rational. I, I think our politics are a sort of... Um, what komijareski used to call uh, chocolate box variety naturalism the, you know the, they're sort of cast like commedia dell'arte the reason <laughs> we don't have another farage in the you know that we can spot is because farage hadn't hasn't left the fucking stage so no one can step into that stereotypical so it's like musical role. somebody's in that well, seat w- w- yes absolutely and so i think to a huge extent what what direction the conservative Party takes going forward depends on which power brokers within the Conservative Party will decide that the next election is it for them mm-hmm. um, and sort of step away. And there's the people who step up to fill their positions, which I, I think is too much of a moving puzzle yeah. for me to to confidently predict now which way. It's going to That's go. That's no right? fun.
3: That's why you're not a columnist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I might be wrong, but at least I'm certain. Yeah. The columnist's job.
3: Exactly. Thank and, you very and, much. And,
1: and the other thing, again, tying into the, I, I'm going to run with this chocolate box politics <laughs> I'm idea. I like comedy a lot. Well, well, because well, because actors
3: uh, made of chocolate. The, like, uh, the, we can mix them. I think. No,
1: because it's it's basically a selection. You want. A, yeah, a couple yeah. of each, right? You don't want a, a box that has 15 caramel and, mm. and no... Um, Otherwise you buy Maltesers. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so the other thing I was going to say on that same metaphor is that very often you don't know what the chocolate is until you bite into it. And, <laughs> and actually people who look one way on the way up Um, You know, are playing a really specific game in order to get to the top and how they react then to having power, to having the real leadership is not something that is completely predictable.
0: Are you saying Boris Johnson was the Turkish delight? I do go, bloody hell! I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Literally, the, um, I quite like socialised books.
3: I do so, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: And <laughs> he is
1: actually Turkish. I know,
3: so. yes. Oh no, no! I was just going to say that. This is Jenny' very good analysis. I think on how power changes people psychologically. But my main thought was like, you didn't read the little paper to find out which is which. That's insane behaviour. Like you just take chocolates, people, not knowing what they're going to be. People don't
1: read the manifesto, Marie. No, I do read the paper. No, no, no! no. Actually, that, 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 I, I was not. That I was no, I'm just. Sorry, talking I will not have that. State. I read the paper obsessively, and okay, I get good, really. Good. Except if the paper gets lost. Yeah, oh, thank God. But often they are very difficult to tell. Like you get (laughs) one that is three parallel straight lines and one that is like three parallel wavy lines and you're like, these two look exactly the same. The bit of paper is known as the instructions, by the way. (laughs) The instructions for the chocolate. Um, it's my second language, I'm so
0: sorry. (laughs) This is how we... You don't get this on the news agency, analysis of politics in the medium of the chocolate box. Next up, it's time to choose our hero and villain of the week. Who's sold out their show at the Fringe and who's burned off their own Fringe? Each of the panel is going to nominate a hero and a villain. And I am going to decide who is the hero and the villain because I am an autocrat. Marie, who are you nominating as hero and who is your villain?
3: Uh, So my villain is David Tissy Davies, the Welsh Secretary of State, uh, because he released a leaflet that was called out as uh, racist and quite a bit of a dog whistle by uh, GRT charities and associations so kind of talking about Gypsy and Traveller Side coming to your area soon and really, really encouraging people to write in to the Labour Council to let them know what they made of that, Um, which is just a bit, like I don't know, it feels, you know, it's 2023, like must we still do uh, sort of, you know, that sort of attitudes towards uh, travellers. So that that was quite depressing. Um, And also, again, you're a Secretary of State, please... Please do your job instead. Did so he actually know.
0: have conservative on his leaflet? Uh, oh, good question. Because they're all I mean, yeah. not doing that now, they're, aren't they? Yeah, and
3: they're even like green or like other colours entirely, which is quite funny. I was going make
0: them red. Um,
3: Why not? So, my, <laughs> my hero is a bit of a bull choice uh, because we do not know who it is. But very specifically, I am nominating the person who told The Times that they refused an honour from List Trust because it would be, I quote, humiliating, because <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> that made me laugh so much. That is funny That's some self-awareness.
0: Two people knocked back the honour, didn't they?
3: They did, but yeah, but one specifically said it would have been humiliating.
0: Now, you're an insider. <laughs> who do you think it might be?
3: I, I genuinely don't you know. You must have
0: some kind of, you know, spin-offs. Honestly, know, because
3: we don't even know what kind of honour it was. Okay. So I think that probably would have helped it. Yeah, exactly. Thunder. It yeah. might
0: have been an uh, OB. Mm. Yes, yeah,
3: so I just charity. found
0: that hysterical. I'm <laughs> oh, sure we can work something out. Oh, what's, what's your um, nominations,
1: Alex, for hero and villain? Um, so my hero is Jackie McKenzie, mm-hmm. um, who is the immigration lawyer that was picked on and named and then unnamed over the weekend about the one that's apparently in the web of deceit um, of starmers <laughs> in trying to... Um, I don't know, stop the government from sending...
0: Stop, stop the boats.
1: I, kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't even know what the charge was. It was, it was Braverman's piece, so it was incoherent. But, but I find it extraordinary because she's now fighting back. Mm. Um, so she posted on social media that apparently the government compiled a dossier on her and sent it to four um, partisan newspapers to basically do a hatchet job on her. They doxed her. And I find this really quite extraordinary at happening simultaneously Mm. to them complaining that the bank, the posh bank (laughs) that Nigel Farage was at, did a dossier on him and decided basically to offer him their more basic product Mm. rather than their premium one. And at the same time, the state, with all its might, is compiling fucking dossiers and sending them to papers against Mm. individual citizens. So she's my hero of the week Mm -hmm. for fighting back, and my villain of the week is Rishi Sunak. Um, Not for any of the obvious reasons, just because I think, who the fuck goes on holiday and wakes up at six o'clock in the morning to go to a spinning class, (laughs) not just to go exercise, like in the hotel gym or go for a run, but to go to a public spinning class where you'll be seen and requires some massive security operation. I think he's a sociopath. (laughs) I I disagree with you. Like he hasn't seen his family in a year and he wakes up in the middle of the night to go be seen at a spinning (laughs) Mm. class. That is American psycho Mm. territory. I've rarely
3: heard you that angry, which I really respect that. (laughs) (laughs) There's one thing I hate.
1: (laughs) It's just the cheapest possible.
0: (laughs) It's not just a spin class. Alex, it's a Taylor Swift-themed...
3: Oh, Swift fuck. Game. OK, fine, no, no, OK, I'm on board now. Oh, uh, my no, Jesus Christ.
1: Not. Oh, yeah, sorry, you're no, on I board with really me. I just really hate yeah, yeah, Taylor yeah. Swift. Oh, yeah, so yeah, I yeah. Can... I was going to say, that just makes it <laughs> worse. Yeah, weirdly, that's yeah. clinched
3: it for me. Yeah,
0: fine. It, this is where Zoe acts herself as, like, a, a full-on Swiftie. Swiftie. Swift yeah. uh, yeah. I actually am. No, so, I've got a has...
2: taking... so, Yeah, OK. Zoe
0: Grunewald, hero and villain, speak your truth.
2: I've got 200 um, heroes this week um, because I'm cheating a bit. But I think the uh, team of scientists working at the high security lab in Wiltshire on the next
0: pandemic, pandemic vaccine
2: mm-hmm. are doing a, a great job. Um, I also think they're probably under you know attack on social media today from all these COVID conspiracy theorists. Because obviously, if you're already preemptively working on a vaccine, you can just imagine what all the anti-vaxxers are going to be saying. But they're mm-hmm. obviously doing a really great Thing which we'll all be very grateful for when we all get bird flu in two years time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a prediction. That's Yay. not. Yeah. I don't. If we do get bird flu in two years time, it's not because I had some secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Hey, this will turn up on YouTube. Yeah, it's like, it will. How did this woman know? Yeah. What? How she's in on the end.
2: The Negroni swilling media elite. They're all in <laughs> on it. The
0: light newspaper will do a story on you yeah. or something. Yeah.
2: Okay. Um, my villain. Is also Rishi Sunak at the spin class, but also I'm adding in Matt Hancock because Uh-oh. there's two reasons for this, right? So Sunak, spin class, holiday, I think shameless opportunism. I agree with you. I think it's very cynical. You know, he's trying to be in touch with young people and their love of Taylor Swift. I just think it's very cynical. He could have done, you're telling me he couldn't have just gone on his... You could have gone downstairs and had a
1: swim. I mean, come on. Yeah,
2: But I'm adding in Matt Hancock because I don't know if anyone saw his annoying TikTok video of him doing the I'm Just Ken song, miming the I'm Just Ken song from the Barbie movie. And I think they're both villains for the same reason, that they're just jumping on these media trends to try and buff themselves up as, you know, darlings and, and get support from young people. And I just find it super irritating because it's so cynical. It's so cringy, and it's like just... Do your fucking
1: job. A uh, Hancock video is like a natural contraceptive, isn't Oh, it's it? just right. so <laughs> awful. It will kill anyone's boner in 10 seconds flat.
2: Yeah. Also, this man was the Secretary of State for DCMS, and the camera quality is yeah. so bad. I mean, I know he's on a beach, but, like, the camera's terrible.
0: OK, judgment. Um, I'm going to give Hero has to go to the person or persons who knocked back an honour from Les <laughs> because <laughs> they're absolutely right and they speak for us all because it would be the crappiest honour of the, of the lot wouldn't it?
3: And also Les Truss must know who it is so I really yeah, like yeah, saying mate really come on like yeah. thanks for the that,
0: gift but yeah. Jesus It's the
1: sort of thing that in 10 years we'll end up in who's who with an asterisk
0: Of <laughs> <laughs> a villain I'm, I'm going to hive off Matt Hancock from Rishi Sunak because we'll be calling him a villain all the time. I am giving it to Matt Hancock on his own because at least <laughs> Rishi Sunak going into a Bend class. It has a purpose. It is at least exercise. It may be, as you say, sociopathic and terrible thing to do when you're on a family holiday, but at least you're trying to get fit. This was just craven need cringe. for attention mm-hmm. and the yeah, absolute cringe inside out. What does um, Roman say on Succession? I cringe so hard I turn into a fossil. That's what, <laughs> would, that's what that clip would make you do. Now, the perennial battle of humanity, young versus the old. One of the reasons many of us thought that populism might fade away is that the boomer generation will soon lose its position of majority voting power. And the usual rule, though, is that the older right-wing generation gets replaced by a new generation who get more conservative as their mortgages and the other miseries of life start to kick in. Except it looks like that's not happening now. Millennials are bucking the trend and getting more liberal. So what's that going to do to politics? And why can't these millennials put down their avocado toasties and frappuccinos and hurry up and save us? A bit of background, right? Okay, I looked at various graphic representations of of demographics. The population is going to age before there is a younger majority, but the bulge—if you can envisage a bulge—that's currently twenty to forty-five—it's as big as the bulge that is currently fifty to seventy-five. So yeah. it's going to slot it's in a, quite. Very right? yeah, it's very
1: surprising, right?
0: It looks like it looks like one of those ancient—you um, know—those kind of clay dolls, sort of fertility women. It looks exactly like that. So they're going to slot right into place, and their opinions and their 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 beliefs are very different. Over the next 15 to 20 years, millennials will start to outnumber boomers. Luckily, we've got two under thirties on the panel to balance me and Alex with our. Who remembers the summer of love? You perspective. Under 30? Are you under thirty?
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you say I am one hundred. I have Are never been more. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <clears throat> yeah. Oh, like 100 percent. Yeah, a... my passport is in Canada. That's why I can show it to you Fantastic. right now. Fantastic. <laughs> when okay. was the
0: summer of love, by the way. The second summer of love was nineteen eighty-eight. All oh, right, okay. And that's the one that I counts. I thought you meant the first one. I was no, going to say fuck. It was all. when I was born. <laughs> when I was born. Anyway, to Zoe, uh, an FT survey in December found. (laughs) in Generation X. I'm going to do that again.
3: Alex remembers Casanova. They went partying together.
0: So, Zoe, an FT survey in December found that boomers in Generation X did become more right wing as they got older, but that that wasn't holding true for millennials, the ones born between 1981 and 1996. They started out voting 10 percent less conservative than the average uh, by vote when they were 20, but they went more left as they got to 40. They were 20 percent less conservative on the on, on the aggregate vote. Mm. Well, why is this happening now? Is it does it boil down to I can't buy a house, therefore destroy capitalism?
2: Um, well, I do think the not being able to buy a house thing is a is a big part of it. Because, um, you know, house buying is like the ultimate conservative dream, isn't it? It's your accumulation of capital. It's your place that you buy and then you have your family in it and then you have something to protect and conserve. So that's why people were, I guess, once they bought a house, feeling more inclined to vote conservative. But I also think this is interesting because, and this isn't me being a big Blair Apologist. No, that's no. fine by me. But, uh, but I do think it's interesting because I think like this generation specifically grew up in a time where you know just in in, in ninety seven there was this feeling of like there's a Labour government and things are going to get better. And I think that feeling is still like in the memory for a lot of these people. And Mm -hmm. then things just started getting progressively, progressively worse. And then we had 13 years of conservative rule where wages were completely stagnant, house building stopped, prices up. And of course, loads of people pushed into university with these huge student loans that they have no chance of getting rid of. So I think basically what you've seen is a, a generation that was brought up with a little bit of hope and then just saw it getting trashed and trashed and trashed again and again. And, you know, house building Is a big house building and house buying is a big part of it. But I actually think it's just this general sort of knock on domino effect of all these things are getting worse and worse. Um, And I think as well that the Conservative government and the Conservative Party just seem to have this general disregard for young people. I mean, remember what Johnny Mercer said um, just the other day in the by-elections about, you know, you you can't have a – how old is Kim? 25? 25? Yeah, Yeah, you can't have a 25-year-old in politics, like Mm -hmm. in between us. I mean, that's the attitude that people get from the Conservative Party. You just feel that they they just have this – yeah, just – regard for young people you know they've even let you know nightlife in the uk go to ruin mm. um and then you get politicians like lee anderson who like to mock you know young people and students and it just seems very kind of um they just seem hostile yeah. to young people and i think they, they pick up on that
0: we do seem to have an understandably pessimistic cohort of, of young people at the moment the bbc surveyed 16 to 24 year olds in november and they found a t- you know just vestigial positivity about the future, only 17% thought the future in general was going to be better, 20% thought the economy was better, 26% thought the environment will be better in the future. I bet that's changed since November. Boomers came of age when politics was changing the country for the, we now have a cohort that thinks it's not going to. How do, you, how do you think that relates to moving right or left in the future?
2: Yeah, I think young people are kind of a bit void of hope at the minute. I mean, mm. one of the things I'm, I hear mostly from my peers and that I'm most worried about is the environment. But there's other stuff as well. I mean, if you can't get on the property ladder, I think a lot of young people are wondering if they'll ever be able to have families you don't want to have a child if your landlord is just going to kick you out two months later. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think people are are, are really worried about that. I think if we had a Labour government, at least they would be able to do something which the Conservative government are stuck on, which is actually have a cohesive plan for building houses Mm -hmm. because they don't have so many NIMBYs in their party. They actually do have quite a... Uh, optimistic approach to planning reform and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I do worry, you know, specifically Sunak's kind of vibe shift on the environment as well. I think mm. that is worrying. And that's not the sort of thing we can just kick the can down the road on. Like, we need to act now on it. Um, the economy, uh, that's worrying. I don't know. I mean, I think people tend to think that these things go in peaks and troughs. But, you know, how, how many years of... Economic turmoil? Do you have before you kind of ruin a generation's prospects and their savings and things yeah. like that? So I, I I do understand the sense yeah. of fear and also
0: setting set in stone their political beliefs and their political orientations. Mm. Definitely under thirty, Marie Lacanthe. Uh, the FT <laughs> mm. says that we in Britain and the US we've got by far the least conservative thirty-five year olds in recorded history.
3: Mm. I mean, it's really hard for me to talk about that because thirty-five is actually so far away from yeah, the age I am. Years in the future, the, of you yeah, yeah, like yeah. old
0: people, mm. yeah. So, I mean, does this mm. chime with your, you and your... Oh,
3: no, no, it actually does. And I think it it is... So I find it kind of fascinating because I've been kicking around Westminster for nearly a decade now. So I've got quite a lot of friends in Westminster and quite a lot of like, quote unquote, normal friends. Yeah. Um, and, and I think just by virtue of, you know, the Tories have been in power for that entire time, probably just about most of my Westminster friends are Conservatives. Anyone else, but literally I think anyone else who does not work in politics is not a Tory. Like, I don't believe I really know a single normal person my age who votes conservative. Mm. And and you and, and we're talking about people who are again, you know, in their twenties or thirties, the older ones. <laughs> so I'm gonna stop now with this. <laughs> um and, and and they're more often than not, you know, people on very decent salaries, you know, white colour workers um, from quite middle-class backgrounds. And, yeah, not a single one of them votes story. You know, we do have quite a lot of Lib Dems, uh, which is always quirky. Um, but, yeah, and then the rest of just, you know, Labour voters or Green voters and, and that's that, which is really, really striking. Because then a lot of those people, you can tell not that long ago, would have naturally been sort of like Cameroons if this all yeah. happened about a decade ago.
0: It is. Do you think when we take the long view of this, the, the Conservatives will be seen to have done some really, really bad and inept electoral politics by cutting off the pipeline that used to (laughs) manufacture their voters. Mm. Like, get a house, get some debt, start to worry about your tax, then you'll vote conservative. And they've almost deliberately gone about severing that.
3: Mm. They did. And so the weird thing as well, so I think obviously, and I know that's what we're talking about now, the fact that, young people no longer really vote Tory. But also what's really interesting is that old people did not used to vote Tory that much. So like it's, it's very much a game yeah. of two halves here. Like I think, you know, it's also, if you look at the stats on older people, they also did not used to be that, you know, that split towards the Conservatives. So, yeah, I'm not at, at risk of being slightly crass, you know. Um, if you had to pick one of those two, you'd probably pick more younger people <laughs> voting for you, right? But no, more it, it it is a weird thing. And it's I, I do wonder how much of it, and listeners of the podcast know that I'm normally not that Brexit obsessed, but on this specific issue, I do wonder if a lot of it is not also just Brexit. Because actually, even younger people who already may be voting Conservative or are like considering going down that path were still almost certainly Remainers if you look at demographics and age mm-hmm. and stuff. So I think I wonder as well if that may not change once you know what once the referendum kind of moves further yeah. and further
0: away in the past. Well, the two most the two clearest determinants of which way you voted in the referendum were. Um, Education and age, weren't mm. they? If you had been. And then in- these are really
3: closely tied anyway. So, mm. yeah. yeah. I mean, no, no, absolutely. So, so, I think it's one of those where there's, you know, it's a bit Occam's razor, of, you know, why young people not voting Conservative? Maybe because actually, you know, basically none of them voted for Brexit and then mm. the Conservatives became the party of Brexit. Yeah.
0: Alex, more polling. The think tank Onward. Conservative thinks so I've found that 62% of 25 to 40-year-olds think the Conservatives deserve to lose the next election. Not just that they're not going to vote for them, that they think they really deserve to lose. There's a kind of, there seems to be a kind of an element of, of, of rancour and vengeance out there. Is this what happens when you basically, as we say, lock people out of being able to uh,
1: start their lives, really? I think there are a lot of factors in that. I don't think that had the economics been, been different or had the conservatives over the last 13 years built more houses, that sort of 20 to 45 year olds would be cock-a-hope about voting conservative. Um, because I think the calculation has become more more complicated. Mm-hmm. It has to do with environmental issues, which I, I think are loom large in that cohort's uh, mind, I think it has to do with ideology. I think, I think conservative ide- ideology is quite tired. It's quite hackneyed. It's taken quite a beating. It's discredited, and I haven't seen them move to something else. Mm. You know, this is a generation of politicians that grew up with the idea that you can grow the pie exponentially, and that wealth trickles down, and that is now thoroughly discredited, and i I don't see something that I don't see an economic theory, a political ideology there that stepped in to replace it. Like even young people in the Conservative Party, they sort of embrace a a sort of old fuddy duddyism almost to fit in. They make themselves look like look and sound like old people, Um, and so I think unless the Conservative Party goes away and sort of thinks quite deeply about. What is the ideology we're selling here? What, is the, what kind of society are we saying that if we are in power, we can make happen? I couldn't discern that from Rishi Sunak, for example, at the moment, who is, who is a very young conservative politician, right? Mm. If you ask me what sort of country would Rishi Sunak like the UK to be, I really could not tell you.
3: And I think the Tories are kind of stuck in a slightly weird, twisted fairy tale whereby David Cameron and George Osborne, to an extent, had to work very hard to make the party palatable again to kind of, you know, young metropolitan liberals and younger people, etc. And they kind of got there in the end and obviously were clearly successful enough that lots of people in, in the capital, either the kind of, I suppose... Um, elite tastemakers, whatever you want to call them, did actually, like quite a lot of them, did vote Conservative. And then you have that wave of Conservative MPs who came in and were like, well, we'll never lose again because actually all these people love us. Mm. And then proceeded to destroy everything Cameron had done to detoxify the party. Yep. And are now just like... Uh, well, what happened? They hate us now, and it's like, yeah. well, well, yeah, because because that you know that guy you dislike, the reason you dislike him is because he worked quite hard on winning you those people, yeah. Like, and in his communism, so again, and it feels that like now they just have to reinvent Cameroonism, effectively, but also but Cam- which they hate. So again, that yeah. there's a weird, yeah.
0: But also, Cameron and Osborne did create the nightmare as well. The austerity mm. is the root of all yeah. of this. And uh, it they is just go in yeah, and, go, hey, and Brexit, great. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah it's, it was the recklessness of austerity that produces the resentments of Brexit, that also produces communism. So mm. they, it's those two. You stupid bastards! It's always
3: there. It? No, but again, yeah, it feels like a weird, or yeah, something like a Greek tragedy or something. That there's, yeah, the, the way yeah. that story goes. Um, anyway,
0: back to young people to wrap it up. Are we optimistic then that that this kind of bulge, the demographic bulge, that's going through, is going to reach its its moment of power, its majority, when it's in the place where the boomers are now, and it will be more progressive, more social democratic, and it will hang on to that into later life. What do you think?
2: I would think so. I think it's gonna take a long time for young people to forgive the Conservative Party for the many betrayals they think that they have experienced. Um, obviously I think there will still be some people who change their political ideology as they get older. We're also gonna have more pressures i think things like that i mean there will be more immigration there will be um more sacrifices as we move towards net zero and those are the sort of things that you know can change people's mind but i do think ultimately and this is you know starmers bringing labor more towards the center as well i mean maybe he'll capture all those people who would have been conservative but not uh not in favour of a left-wing Labour government. Um, So it's interesting to see how Labour are shifting and it's interesting to see whether any of those issues actually impact that generation as they get older. But my instinct is that this generation will be more left-leaning, more progressive for for quite a long time.
0: (laughs) We've reached the end of the show, so it's time for Escape Roots, the books, films, bits of music, art, whatever you like, that take our minds off the boiling nightmare that is politics. Zoe, what are you taking your mind off the boiling nightmare that is politics with at the moment?
2: So usually I tell you about some terrible reality TV show I'm watching, but actually I am doing something a little bit more cultured because my um, boyfriend's parents moved house recently and um, when they moved house they dug up his old um, keyboard um, so we now have that in our house just sat on our um, dining room table because our house is tiny and that's the only place it fits. But I remembered that I actually used to teach myself chords and sing along. So at the minute I am, you know, performing for the O2 Arena, you know, Taylor Swift songs, obviously, <laughs> yes. while he's upstairs with his noise cancelling headphones <laughs> on. And it's I'm having a great time. I'm loving <laughs> it. I'm doing it for three hours every night. Just all you need is C, F, D, E, maybe A minor. Are and we, you're sorted. Are we
0: saying synth duo? Are you basically standing it passively?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, not quite. Um, it's Yeah, it's just me, and I'm yeah, really, really enjoying it. It's, um, yes, lovely. It's a so nice way to spend my time, it is, yeah.
1: Tremendous. Get away
0: from the keyboard all day and get on the keyboard exactly, all night. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Alex, how about you?
1: I'm delighted Zoe has not bagsied the trashy corner <laughs> for today because mine is very trashy. Um, so there's a procedural on... Um, Amazon Prime that I had never seen before called The Mentalist, and I am mainlining it. It is fabulous. the 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 premise is that the guy is like so observant that people think think he's psychic, but he's not. He's just so good at observing details. Right? Is
3: it one of those shows where basically it's about an autistic guy, but they never quite say? No, 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 no,
1: no. No, quite the opposite. He's very socially adept. The fun thing about it is that because it's targeted at a sort of mainstream 8 p.m. American network Mm -hmm. audience, all this stuff that he's meant to be brilliantly observing is like so obvious. (laughs) (laughs) You know everything that's going on from the first three minutes of the episode. It's like everything is telegraphed in an amazingly obvious way. And everyone around him is like, how did you know that? It's like, yeah, because cause he saw them, like, literally mouthed to <laughs> each other. How did you know anyway, that guy in a T-shirt that says I like murdering people was I a know, murderer? I know, it's it's brilliant. Um, anyway, The Mentalist, the fantastic mentalist. popcorn thing will really take your mind off stuff. What's it on? Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Uh, Marie Lacoste.
3: I am reading uh, a real, you know one of those books, that, and I mean that as a compliment, but I would say so good it's actively annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's Priest Daddy, all in one word, uh, by Patricia Lockwood, and it's a memoir of so she's a sort of very online writer, essayist, poet, etc. It's going kind to of be a memoir of her life growing up in the Midwest with her dad, who's like an insane priest basically, and um, her mum, who's just insane, um, and getting kind of all their siblings and stuff moving around from church to church. So but it doesn't sound that fun, but it. it I don't even know how to explain it without sounding like I'm sort of being paid for it but but, <laughs> but, but it is I genuinely laugh out loud funny like I have laughed out loud in public numerous times while reading it but also incredibly clever and really beautifully written and, and again you read it and especially as a writer and you're like all oh, right, like mm. Jesus Christ, I need <laughs> back, fucking you Um But no, it's 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 unlike any other book I've read. I think it's it's really unique. But in a again, God, I feel like again I'm being that like, patricial awkward as I sending me a check in the post for this, <laughs> which he's not.
0: But, Priest yeah. Daddy,
3: Priest Daddy. Yeah. Oh no, actually, so the best um, endorsement I can give it is that my handbag got nicked last week, uh, and it was in my handbag. Not quite the first thing I did, but once I'd replaced, you know, the card, and once I'd cancelled my card and phone, etc., the first thing I did is go to Foils to buy another copy of Freeze Daddy because I was like, no, I was halfway through. <laughs> I want to finish
0: this. This is how she sells the books, you see. She goes around pinching people's bags. <laughs> I've another one. Well, mine, uh, I'm, I'm a terribly uncultured fellow, and I don't go to the theatre very often, but I went to see The Effect. At uh, the National Theatre in London. And it's a, uh, a a revival of a Lucy Preble play, Lucy Succession Preble, uh, that came out in 2012. And I thought it was fantastic, uh, absolutely fantastic, mind expanding, and thrilling piece of theatre. The, the, the gist of it is we're watching a drug trial. People are being given antidepressants to uh, work out what the effect of it is uh, on, uh, you know, kind of volunteers and relationships begin to develop inside the drug trial and people are unaware of whether their feelings are real or whether they're counterfeit generated by the drugs. This then spirals off into... Um, a, a, a thing that's incredibly intense, um, incredibly um, thought-provoking, also extremely funny, brilliant performances. It's been rejigged and remade for an all-black cast, and there are resonances in there that perhaps were not in the original that have Billy Piper in it as uh, as, as the female lead. Incredibly well presented. It's kind of in the round, except not fully in the round. There's an uh, audience at two sides of the stage, no sets as such, everything is delineated by squares of light and captions mm-hmm. appearing on the stage. And you feel like uh you're it, I mean, I've never seen Black Mirror, but I'm told this mm-hmm. is what Black Mirror is like. To me, it was like if Lucy Preble of Succession Fame had written a thug's Future Shock for 2000 AD, where they kind of they do the kind of um, you know, Twilight Zone, take reality, twist it a little bit, but look at mm-hmm. the moral um uh, upshot the moral kind of consequences of a vaguely, slightly science fiction scenario. Mm. Fantastic. Well, the effect. Yeah, yeah, give it a go. Because
1: mm. yeah. I'm a theatre critic now. I, I, I <laughs> I'm so reeling from yeah. the revelation you've never seen a, a single episode of Black Mirror. just never fitted it no, in. Same yeah, up, no, same, like, actually. Yeah, it just doesn't feel... I think what, what
3: killed it for me was the tweet that was... Like, oh, what is every, going on? <laughs> so like the tweet that was, like, oh, every episode of Black Mirror is like, what if phones but too much. Yeah. <laughs> and they made me laugh so much. Yeah, so
2: I was like, I feel seated now. You should watch the one with Rory Kinnear where he is the Prime Minister yeah. and he has to have sex with Oh, actually, pig. I
1: have seen that one. I've seen and, the, I've seen the n- pig shagging one. Nosedive, yeah. I think, is... M- nosedive is really good. Is my favourite so I don't like
3: creepy things.
2: No,
1: Nosedive, nosedive dive is about basically your your media ranking, your social media ranking, determining mm-hmm. the sort of House you can rent and...
3: Oh, and, so what if phone's yeah, about too yeah. much? Yeah, What, yeah, exactly. what, uh,
1: what if China <laughs> but here?
0: That's what it is, I guess, social ranking. Well, there you go. We're all culturally charged up now. Uh, and that is the end uh, of the Tuesday edition of Oh God, What Now? Thank you to Marie. Thank you. Thank you to Alex. My pleasure. And thank you to Zoe. Thank you. Oh God, What Now? will be back on Friday or on Thursday if you're a Patreon backer. So please consider being a Patreon backer. Just search Oh God, What Now? Patreon to find out about early shows without adverts on them, exciting merchandise, all that kind of stuff. Thanks for listening to this edition and we will see you next time.
1: Oh God, What Now? was presented by Podmasters group editor Andrew Harrison with Alex Andreu, Zoe Grunewald and Marie Conte. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Chris Jones and me, Alex Reese. With a system production from Adam Wright. Socials by Jess Harpin. Art direction by Mark Taylor and James Parrott. Oh God One Now is a Podmaster's production.